one of the differences between climate tech and past phases of technology innovation is that climate tech is really hard. You have to build stuff. You have to build stuff next to communities. You have to deal with regulation and legislation and all sorts of things that might actually make your innovation not possible. Welcome to season two of the Future Engineering Club podcast. My name's Jack Lomas, and join me as I speak to some of the brightest minds in the built environment, hearing firsthand their experience building the future of our planet. To kick off season two, I'm super excited to be joined by David Ferguson, head of Net Zero Innovation in EDF's research and development team. We talk about the fascinating complexities of innovating for the energy transition, the need for carbon removal as well as reduction, creating flexible innovation processes, his vision for the future, and lots more. David's mission is to lead innovations that accelerate the world's journey towards net zero. He has two decades of international experience in sustainability and innovation, living and working in the UK, France, and China. I really enjoyed this conversation as the energy transition plays such a core part to transforming the world that we live in. David's team really does give us a glimpse of what the future could look like. Let me know what you think. Hey, David, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's great to be with you, Jack. Thanks. So I guess, first of all, start off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at EDF. Yeah, well, I'm David Ferguson. I'm head of Net Zero Innovation at EDF here in the UK. I've worked in EDF for most of my career, starting my career in the area of sustainability. So I did a lot of uh, early work on climate strategy, social policy, things like that, working in the UK and France before moving into R&D and innovation, and in particular, digital innovation in the past, working in the UK and recently in China. And now I'm in charge of net zero innovation for the company, which really means looking at how we can bring different approaches to developing new innovations, new technologies, new products and services, new ways of working that really accelerate our transition to net zero. Nice. So I know that companies have different definitions for net zero and different objectives linked to that. What does net zero mean for EDF and what sort of timelines you work into? Well, we're very aligned with the UK targets for net zero. So our mission as a company is helping Britain achieve net zero. And the important thing about that is that we operate a significant part of the UK's energy system, our electricity system. And so the first thing that we need to do is to decarbonize the electricity system. And we're well on the way to doing that. So we operate nuclear power plants, we operate renewable facilities, we're building new nuclear, we're building new renewables. So that's the first part of the job done. The second part is then using low carbon electricity to decarbonize as much of everything else as possible. And that's where things get a little bit more difficult because the UK is still a fairly industrialized nation. So there are lots of things that we can do to use low carbon electricity to decarbonize the UK. So we work with our clients, with industry, with government to see how we can electrify as much as possible. And then the third thing is, well, there'll be some stuff that's just really hard to do, some industrial processes that are not readily electrified. So it's exploring how we can use new technologies and innovations to tackle those really hard to reach areas. So things like certain chemical processes, industrial high temperature heat is particularly difficult, cement production, you know, there's a number of things that are going to require some real innovation. 
But like I say, our, our mission as a company is helping Britain achieve net zero. So that's what we're shooting towards. I mean, I absolutely love the ambition and they all sound like quite complex challenges. Would you be able to give maybe just a couple of examples of specific innovation priorities or initiatives that you're working on at the minute, just to give people a better understanding and idea of the way that you're approaching this? Yeah, it's vast, to be honest. And last year, we developed a long list of the key innovation needs for our business here in the UK. And we mapped out about 20 different topics, uh, which is clearly too much to focus on. So we narrowed that down to about six. And it covers the entire range of our activities in the UK. So on the electricity generation side, well, partly, as I say, we're on the right track with installing renewables and operating nuclear, but we need to have a system, an energy system that is super robust and flexible, particularly as renewable energy sources are typically intermittent. So one of the big things we're focusing on is long duration storage. So that is more than four hours of storage of large volumes of electricity that can be dispatched quite quickly. And it's a big challenge in the UK, but there are a number of new technologies that are emerging. So everyone knows about batteries, but batteries don't store electricity for long periods of time. So what are the alternatives? In the UK, we have pumped hydro. So that is places like Dunorwig in, in North Wales, where water is pumped to the top of a mountain and then flows down when power is needed. But we need a lot more of that. So what are the new technologies that can be deployed that can give us uh, long duration storage? A good example would be compressed air storage, where we pump air into caverns under the ground and store it there, and it can flow out when electricity is needed. But there'll be many other types of storage that could be deployed here in the UK. And hydrogen is another good example of the type of vector where we can store energy. So that's on the one hand. Another is all the way down to our homes. We have 26 million homes in the UK that are heated with gas boilers. We need to get rid of those gas boilers and replace them with something else. At the moment, the most obvious solution is air source heat pumps powered by electricity. But we don't really have the supply chain. We don't have the skills. The customer experience is really quite complicated at the moment. And they're air source heat pumps aren't perfectly designed for the UK home. So there's a lot of innovation that's needed to make that an attractive offer for you and me and make it easy to install at scale across the whole of the UK. And then in between the two, there are tons of things around smart charging for electric vehicles, green data centers, which is a topic we're exploring at the moment, flexibility for industrial and commercial customers, all the way through to things like direct air capture, which we're convinced is going to be a topic in the future. That is the ability to suck carbon out of the atmosphere through huge fans and lock it away somewhere. If we're going to hit net zero, there has to be some taking away of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Wow. I mean, there's such a variance in the type of innovations and R&D that you're working on. Has it made it difficult to standardize your approach to developing these? Oh, yeah, completely. I think it's really easy to write on a piece of paper exactly how you're going to do innovation. So we have a fairly typical approach, which is a sort of, on the one side, in-house innovation, and that can be top-down, where we know what we need to do and we go and look for solutions. Or it can be bottom-up, where 
we want to be surprised by the creativity and dynamism of our employees. So it's a sort of bottom-up trickle of ideas. And then there's the external part where we are going out to the startup world and saying, look, we have this challenge. Who can help us with this challenge? Or it can be startups just coming to us saying, we have this fancy new widget. Do you want to test it with your customers? And so we have a, a bunch of techniques and methods that we use that cover all of that. But I'd say the most important thing is opportunism, to be honest. Is where there's a sort of a nice alignment of business appetite with some sort of initiative or partner or government funding or something that has the potential to bring that to life. So we are very opportunistic, reflecting the priority needs that we have across that vast range of challenges. And alongside this product innovation, would you say there's also then an element of business model innovation that comes with it? Yeah, I think there is. We're exploring this in a few different areas, but it's quite challenging, actually, business model innovation for a sector like the energy sector, because it tends to be quite capital intensive. So it's an area that we've looked at in the business, but you know we're focusing more on the sort of the technical challenges at this stage. And then how do you typically measure the success of these products? Well, that's a, an extremely good question. To be honest, it's quite difficult to answer. And what we have done up to now is effectively there are three time dimensions for innovation in our business. In our business units, kind of day-to-day business, we have people doing innovation, but it's quite incremental innovation. And they're focusing very much on sort of incremental improvement, tweaks to products and services, maintaining our competitive advantage, maximizing the performance of our assets. And they normally think about sort of two-year time horizon. At the other end, we've got research and development, and we've got quite a significant R&D team here in the UK. And typically, they are looking at the sort of the five years plus innovation timeline. So most of the objectives for them are around discovery. So discovering solutions, understanding technology, de-risking new technology, and the output there typically is knowledge. But for innovation, that's sort of in between those two things, which is what I'm focusing on. On the one hand, it is about understanding new opportunities and de-risking things, but it is also about producing a product or service, a thing that can come out into the market. And so there it, it will be, and I say will be because it hasn't happened yet, it will be more around customers and revenue and the meaningful impact it has on our business and on our customers. It is quite a slippery thing to measure. And what we haven't done so far is develop very complex ways of measuring impact or value. I think we will in the future, but it's not something we've invested a huge amount of time in up to now. And I guess just on that topic, I know that we're starting to see much more of an increased focus on social value with new infrastructure and sort of major innovation efforts. What role does social value play in how you're approaching future investment at EDF? And how do you think this will affect your innovation process? Mm, That's a very good question. In some parts of our business, it's been incredibly important to the success of the project. Take the example of Hinkley Point C, where Hinkley Point C is such a big project that the resources that we needed to deliver the project were basically at the capacity of the UK industrial system. 
So, you know, we were using as many welders, expert welders of steel, as there were in the UK. So what that meant was that we had to be really, really good at understanding our workforce needs and the availability of the workforce, but also in strengthening that capability. And often that meant creating social value by putting in place all of the systems that were upskilling people, were adding higher education capabilities in certain regions so we can get a flow of skills, whether that's apprentices or highly skilled people coming onto the site so that we can actually deliver the project. Recently, we hit our target of 1,000 apprentices being employed through Hinkley Point C. And so we have looked at the social impact of some of these big investments, not only because we want to have a social impact, but because we need to have a social impact in order to deliver the investments that we're making. I was going to say, Jack, maybe another way of looking at it is also thinking about, from a consumer point of view, with the energy crisis at the moment, one of the most important things is thinking about how we can make life easier for our customers and also how we can make life more comfortable for our customers given the financial constraints that people are facing and the uk has one of the worst performing housing stocks in europe in terms of energy efficiency uh, basically our houses are cold and if we really want to change both the comfort and the financial well-being of our customers we need to look at the infrastructure look at the housing stock and so a big part of what we want to do is to transform the way that customers go about retrofitting their homes, installing insulation to improve the thermal performance of their homes. And so we've got a number of innovations in the pipeline that will address that from identifying which homes need to be tackled first through to innovative ways of actually installing insulation into customers' homes. And that will create environmental impact, but also crucially social impact as well. So in order to be able to have such a sort of broad view of the types of challenges that EDF interacts with, so the customer data, the major project data from, say, Hinkley Point C and others, you must have a really strategic view across the organization. And I'd be really interested to understand how your innovation effort is received in the wider organization and how you address the organizational change aspect of transformation? That's a really good question. I think one of the things I'm really trying to do is be connected to as many people as possible. One of the things about the energy industry is that it's been a very lean and efficient for the last decade or so because of the competition that's come into the sector. Everyone is really, really busy. And what that means is they typically don't have time to look at the things that are slightly more speculative or things that are just coming over the horizon. And so having an innovation function that can do this, that can bring new ideas and new solutions and actually explore some of these difficult topics, I think has been really valuable for the business. At the end of the day, though, it's the operating business that needs to implement this stuff. And that's when it gets difficult. And that's one of the biggest challenges we have found and many of our peers have found. It's when you've got an innovation to the stage where you need to spend lots of money and do some really complicated changes to our business, that's when it becomes challenging. 
And I'm sorry to say I don't have an amazing answer for or insight as to how that's done, but I think it really depends on the culture and the organization of the organization that you work in to really find a way around that. It's difficult. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think really from my own experience, it ultimately it comes down to the, the value proposition of making people's lives easier. So often Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So often this innovation will make the life of say a project manager or an engineer or whoever else, it'll make their life easier. So then taking them through the value of that just so important because ultimately there's then a light bulb moment where it says actually you know what if i adopt this and if i encourage my team and colleagues to adopt this new innovation then it can make our life a little bit more efficient or or safer or easier in some way i think there are two other things as well which i found quite useful one is fun people like to have fun and to feel that they're exploring and learning new things at work so if you can bring an, an element of fun to their job, then I think that's really attractive to people. And the other is FOMO, the fear of missing out. If you can emphasize how, particularly in a competitive market like the energy industry, if you can explain how some of our competitors are doing really interesting things in X, Y, and Z, then it might encourage our business to do interesting things in X, Y, and Z. So I often try to play on those two things as well. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's how do you make people's lives easier? I like the FOMO point as well. I mean, coming from a startup background myself, I know the importance of creating a bit of FOMO, whether it's with investors or clients. So uh, it is powerful. And I know that you source a lot of ideas from your your team and your your employees across EDF, which is just such a powerful function for you to have as an innovation leader. And I know that EDF as a whole is sort of renowned for big investment into R&D and innovation. And this must give you so much independence and control of your destiny, sort of free from any dependency on consultants to tell you what the future looks like. Is this in line with how you see it? And would you say there are gaps? And where do you look for external input? Yeah, I think there are definitely pros and cons. You're right, we do have a very large R&D function. I think EDF's R&D function is the largest for any energy utility in the world. We spend about 500 million euros a year on R&D, 2,000 full-time R&D researchers. And what that means is that with such a big and also quite such a long investment into R&D, we have this huge pipeline of technologies and patents and skills and innovations that are, that are constantly flowing. And that's an amazing advantage to have. The flip side is that old question of not invented here in that if there are things coming from startups that are interesting, innovative, and a little bit similar to some of the things that we're working on, then there's typically a bit of a resistance to working with startups. So it is always a little bit of a double-edged sword. The other thing about R&D is that the purpose or the goal for a lot of R&D work is knowledge rather than a product or service. So across R&D, we have spent a lot of time encouraging effectively entrepreneurship. That is, how do we take some of this knowledge that's created by R&D function and turn it into a thing, into a product or service, and how to actually deploy it into their business and explore new markets. So we do have that amazing capability, but we also do try to work as much as possible with startups. So In the UK, we have a small VC investment team that are actively making investments in startups. 
we have a number of people who are looking at startups in order to do uh, trials or proof of concepts together. And we're also part of a, a wider group network of startup scouts with people all around the world looking at the latest trends and sharing those across the group, either to just educate ourselves or with a specific purpose of finding a partner for a particular need. And that's really powerful because I think a lot of innovation is just combination. So it's combining different things together. And if you have a nice diverse set of things that you can draw on, then you have a much richer potential for creativity and innovation. So David, one last question to finish up. Climate tech is booming and there are so many exciting capabilities out there. If you could have a startup call you up tomorrow and pitch you one capability or technology, what would you most like to see? Uh, uh, climate tech is super hot at the moment. I think one of the differences between climate tech and past phases of technology innovation is that climate tech is really hard. You have to build stuff. You have to build stuff next to communities. You have to deal with regulation and legislation, and all sorts of things that might actually make your innovation not possible or illegal today, which compared to like a SaaS startup is much, much more challenging and much slower. So yes, climate tech is hot, but it's also very, very hard. And I think it requires a slightly different approach to supporting it. But your question, what would I love to see? I think there are two things. The first is around effectively the zero carbon home. That is, how can we transform the home in the UK? So looking at how we retrofit insulation, how we retrofit renewables into the home and air source heat pump and other technologies to decarbonize the home and how do you also retrofit the intelligence that makes all of that sing beautifully together so that's one this is a zero carbon home and the second is direct air capture i really think that this is an area that is going to be incredibly important but it's also extremely difficult and there are a bunch of interesting direct air capture companies emerging at the moment but so many of them are very small and very early and it'd be very nice to see some significant progress in that area. Amazing. And I know that before this call, before we started the podcast, we spoke a little bit about standardizing designs and the world of DFMA and MMC, et cetera. And I think just on the point of direct air capture, one of the really exciting aspects to that is, is the idea of standardizing design and building them in a modular approach. So you can then build in scalability because we need so much of it and we, we can't build it quick enough. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that's when you can begin to hit these exponential improvement curves. If you're building a million of something, you have all these learning curves that allow you to produce things much more efficiently and much more cheaply. And you don't get that with nuclear power plants. Nuclear power plants are incredibly important, but you're not going to build a million of them. So things like air source heat pumps, like solar panels, like batteries, like direct air capture modules. Yeah, I think that has the potential for massive scalability. And as a result, the learning curves that will come with that. Absolutely. David, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I think folks are going to love to hear your vision here. Thanks, Jack. It was great. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much.